stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at NJM.com. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These. Andy Richter is our guest this week. His relationship with Conan O'Brien has extended over decades. It has, in fact, lasted longer than most marriages. Americans stay hitched for an average of eight years. And all told, Andy and Conan, it's been an almost 20-year partnership with a decade in the middle where they were kind of seeing other people. And that might be the secret. Their relationship is still evolving. Conan on TBS ends on June 25th, and no one is quite sure what comes next. Conan's moving to HBO Max. Will Andy join him? As Andy put it, maybe. Still, what's the secret to a long relationship, workplace or no? How do you know when it's over? And how does a woke white guy do the right thing in an era when people say they want to stop hearing from woke white guys? After Andy, we're going to learn about Brussels Sprout, the animal companion of Pod Save America producer Olivia Martinez. Andy Richter, coming right up. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, is it Anna Marie or is it Anna? Oh, God. It's Anna. Or is it depends it's, if I'm It's actually you. Anna. <laughs> oh, it's Anna. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's Anna. It's just Anna. It's just Anna. I'm sorry. <laughs> Unless I'm in trouble, in yeah, which yeah. case you feel free to put on that second name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I know that's how. Probably, you... That's yeah, right. That's what your mother uses. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, as we were saying earlier, when we booked you, I just wanted to talk to you because I think you're interesting. Thank you. But now I have. I to... do too. Well, I... I'm one of the few. You yeah. and me together, babe. <laughs> But now I have to ask you about uh, Conan going away, at least off yeah. off of uh, TBS. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 weird. It's not an unexpected thing, um, and, and actually, in many ways, I think that maybe COVID sort of like I don't think like COVID made the show on TBS go away. It actually kind of became almost like a uh, a therapeutic ramp, you know, kind of from from one existence to another uh, because we couldn't do the show in the studio. And then it became evident that we weren't going to go back there because and it was sort of mutual. I mean, and, you know, it just didn't seem like it was going to work out with TBS. And I can't tell you, you know, I mean, I I don't. 
I'm not in on the I'm in on the conversations about the conversations, not the actual conversations. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And thank God that I don't have to be in on the actual conversations. But it just it didn't it just seemed like it was not going to happen. It was the end of a contract thing. And, you know, and then he, he sort of signed on with HBO Max and they started just because of rent. And because of, uh, of the costs and knowing how long COVID was going to go, they started tearing down the stage in January Ooh. and, and in, in December, actually. Um, you know, and I hadn't been, I went, I, had, I went to clear out my office and went and looked and the stage was gone. <laughs> like, like it was just, our set was just gone. Our audience was gone. Our, our dressing rooms, it was just gone. And it was very strange. And, um, and I cleaned out my office and it's all just stacked up in my garage. And, and the next step is, is something with HBO Max, but we don't exactly know what. There's, I guess, difference of opinion about what they want and what we want. And we just, you know, among our organization, there's just this feeling that a, a, a booking dependent late night talk show doesn't work behind a paywall. So mm -hmm. we want to try and figure something out different. And it's just that figuring out of something different that you don't know. You know, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, I personally don't know. I'm, I'm sort of treating it like I, you know, I'm, I'm auditioning for things. I'm having to self tape, which I haven't done in ages. Uh, I mean, at least on camera stuff, I do voiceover stuff all the time. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm on the market. Anybody listening to this, you got a part for me. I'll take it. So I was actually just going to say that what you described is kind of like um, the process by which COVID exacerbated or helped birth a new, you know, the end of a relationship. Sounds like a yeah. lot of relationships in COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, well, yeah. I mean, from the point of view that it was, that it was that it would have ended anyway, probably. And then it just kind of in many ways, because honestly, well, we started doing shows at home like it was just weird. I felt in the first part like I was retired. <laughs> uh, I just stayed home with my dog and and my, and my kids had come over, you know, and but I would they would send me a bit. You know, they send me a script and say, can you shoot this? I'd shoot it myself on my phone or on my computer send it off. And, you know, it'd be, it'd take me 20 minutes, a couple of times. Like I went out and bought props for my own bit, you know, <laughs> and, and then sent it off and it got on TV. I felt like I was, you know, like I was a subcontractor with some weird, you know, internet business that wasn't exactly porn. Um, <laughs> not exactly. Are you going to start an OnlyFans? Are you going to start an OnlyFans, Andy? Is that the, like, no, the next no, step? No, no, no. Maybe I, I got to drop a few pounds first. Let's just put it that way. Um, but then when we started, th then they started going to the this theater Largo, which is a theater that I, I've been, it was in a previous location. I've known the people at Largo. I performed at Largo for 25 years on and off. And so it's, it's a hangout for me. So for mm -hmm. me, it was wonderful. They, they had to start out kind of slow mm -hmm. with a very skeleton crew of people. And then as it became a little looser, I came in and I sit in the audience and that has been just plain old fun, you know, because we just go in, 
there's not an audience that you have to worry about pleasing. We're all hungry for adult interaction. And I'm with these funny people that I love and we fuck around. I mean, can I say that? I'm yes. sorry. We, we screw around for an hour or, you know, two hours and then we all go home and it's, you know, I can wear shorts. It's, it's been fantastic. I really enjoyed the, the shows that we've done at Largo and, um, and we're actually doing them with an audience. The last two weeks we're going to do uh, audience shows. So we will kind of go out in the way that we, that we started. I am just again struck by some of the ways in which when you talk about the arc here, it is like a relationship. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that because so the Conan's been doing late night for almost 30 years. Yes. Right. You've yeah, been with him for most of that. Uh, yeah. I, well, now let's see if you add him up. Yeah, about yeah, most of that, a little over half of that. Because and, I was on the cool. I was on the late night show for seven, and I think he did it for nine afterwards, and then we've been on since. So there was out of the out of the you know thirty ish years, there's maybe nine or ten that I wasn't with him. That does mean that your relationship with the show has lasted longer than both of my marriages. <laughs> well, Combined, I'm, you know, I, I'm. I, I guess combined too, it would be mine too, because, you know, I wasn't married when I started working with Conan and I'm, and I'm going to end working. Well, I mean, at least in this iteration with Conan, I'm going to end working on this iteration with Conan being unmarried again. So uh, yeah, that's, you know. So what's the secret? Like, can we learn? I'm actually kind of serious. Do you think there's anything you can learn about relationships in general from your continued relationship with Conan and being on the show and being able to go through all these kind of chapters of the show? Um, well, there's, there's a lot of it that fit, that features into it that, well, the basic thing is that he and I have a good partnership, you know, we're, and at this point, it is like family, you know, they, that's a, that's a bullshit phrase that people kick around a lot. We're like a family. Most times it's like, no, you're not. You're just people that work too much and spend too much time together. But we really, I mean, it's been, you know, we've gone through births of children and, you know, you know, losses of loved ones and, and, you know, changes in, in marital status. And we still, enjoy each other's company the way that we did when we first met, at least between him and me. And we still compliment each other in, in many ways that we always did. But there's also been the thing of, I went away for a while. Mm -hmm. I got, I was there for seven years. Um, I never set out to be on a talk show. I never set out to be myself on television. I wanted to be a comedic actor. So it doing Conan felt like a little bit of a side trip, but it was a side trip that gave me a career and that gave me my life and my notoriety. But it did reach a point where I was a little itchy and I kind of felt like I had enjoyed this good fortune and I wanted to see if I could, I could, do something more with it on my own. And I definitely had a desire to do something on my own. And I did, I came out here and I did, uh, I was, you know, number one on the call sheet for three different TV shows. And then he went back to do the tonight show. And, you know, I was in the midst of pitching things, which is just 
one of the most humiliating processes, or it can be one of the most humiliating, infuriating processes of casting your pearls before swine. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you want to work on the tonight show. And for me, it was like, do you want to come back and make daily television, make television in which you basically have a direct conduit to the airwaves. You can think of something on the drive to work and put it on TV that night where I was in this, in this churning froth that like we have an idea and maybe 18 months from now you'll get to do some sort of bastardized version of it. So for me, that the chance for that immediacy was to get back to that was really exciting. And I was very happy to go back to these people that I loved. And I'd had we'd had time away. We'd had time to kind of grow and just kind of, you know. I, I don't I want to say so our wild oats, but, you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, he got he did the show on his own, which I don't know. I assume that he kind of. You know, I mean, I think that that was like something that was a question if he, that was if he was going to mm-hmm. like even doing that. And I got to go out here and see like, yeah, I can do this other stuff, too. But I'm happy to come back to him and I'm happy to come back to this kind of television. And um, and then it just continued on from there. The, the Tonight Show ended so abruptly and so unnaturally and so weirdly that I felt like I had to go to the next thing because I didn't want the people at NBC or Jay Leno to have written the end to my story with mm-hmm. Conan. And, and then I, we started doing the TBS show and I had a, my God, I don't know, like a, a four-year-old and a nine-year-old at home. And I got to spend the next 10 years being home for dinner mm-hmm. and working four nights a week. I mean, we'd work on Fridays, but not, you know, I mean, it wasn't a shoot day. So, and that's invaluable. Like mm-hmm. there's people, I know people in that are sort of of my same peer group who won't see their kids, you know, for days at a time because they're just working on something or they have to go, they are traveling so much. But I, w- I lived 10 minutes from the studio and I, you know, I could go home for lunch if I wanted to. And I could, and, you know, and I got to be there for my kids growing up. And that, that was a component of it that doesn't even, that's not show business. That's just me happy to be able to make a steady living in an in, in an unsteady job or an unsteady profession and, and be at home, you know, have a lot of time at home. But you're going to continue being with whatever show comes next. I think, so. I mean, cause, but the, I, I, we don't know. I mean, cause we don't, you know, like he does the travel shows and I've been a part of, you know, a couple of those, but that's mostly kind of him going off and doing that. And it might take that kind of, that kind of form. There's also, you know, he, he does a podcast and it might take that kind of form, but right now, I don't think either one of us can make a commitment to each other based on something that's so nebulous, Mm. you know, and I also, quite frankly, I'm, you know, I'm excited to, to act again. I I I was going to ask that, you know, a lot of things have changed in the entertainment industry since you last decided to go out and do some stuff on your own. Yeah. For instance, there's no, I mean, there's, there is still turnaround time. There is still pitching stuff, but you can also film on your phone. 
you know, like um, everything yeah. has changed about how you can get an audience and yeah. who your audience is. So do you feel differently? Like, are you excited about something different looking at opportunities now? Um, well, I, I'm older so I'm I, I that's that's another aspect an answer to the your other question mm-hmm. your previous question is we're both older so we don't we don't get worked up about stuff we're happy to just <laughs> we're happy to do the job we don't you know we don't break our backs over it you know when we started out doing the late night show we were killing ourselves because yeah. we it felt like we had to do everything we possibly could in order to survive. And now we're kind of like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know what? We just, we'll do a funny show. And I still, you know, that's one thing I feel. And that's a, that's an aspect of why I've always been there. I still feel, and I just told somebody that was interviewing me about this same topic where it's ours is the funniest show in late night, just hands down. I just believe that. And, you know, and I mean, I, I grew up, mm, I don't know, idolizing is such a weird word, but, you know, David Letterman was mm. this shit to me. But I still think our show's funnier than David Letterman's. In the aggregate, our show is the funniest late night show that's ever been on. And that's just how I feel. And I have always felt, even when I'm, you know, like crabby and pissy, uh, there's still like a bit on the show that'll just be plain old hilarious, you know, and that I just am like so happy that I work on a show that's that that's this weird, you know, and it's this I was going to say that I think yeah. you definitely have the Letterman DNA in the yeah. show because I, I grew up on Letterman and the late, late Letterman, you know, um, yes. With yeah, the, that's what I mean. With yeah. the guacamole uh, the, suit see, and the dropping yeah, things the, off the building and the, yeah. the, the the episode they did where they just turned the camera around slowly over an hour and didn't say yeah, anything yeah. about it. <laughs> just weird experimental <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Or it, Chris Elliott or Larry Bud Melman and all these, you know, just all this real absurdist stuff that that. I feel like that's in your DNA. Like yeah, you're definitely like absolutely. the loosest show, I would say. He, he was definitely a formative influence on everybody that worked on that show. Yeah. And, and it, because we took over for him directly, yeah. uh, we were creating that show in reaction to him in many ways, not in any sort nothing that was sort of where there was some sort of, you know, mimeographed guidelines tacked to the wall or anything, but there was plenty of times where we would think of a bit and talk about it and they go, ah, you know what? That sounds too letterman like we had to make it somehow a little bit different than Dave's kind of super dry, ironic Midwestern kind of stuff. You know, ours was just a lot, uh, a lot wetter. (laughs) 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 His is dry. Ours was a little wetter. I I was going to say, and maybe, um, maybe this sort of uh, is a parallel to being wetter. I certainly think that Conan more obviously enjoys what he's doing. I think that's true too. Yeah. Letterman did. Letterman always was like just a a bit removed, you know, Yes, and, and kind of a chore. It was kind of a chore. I mean, like that was, I think that was a bit, but you know, like he has a, I think he would rather be doing something else with sort of the. Dave has a need to do that show and he has the love hate relationship with that need. Whereas Conan kind of needs to do the show, but he just loves doing it. He just really enjoy. It's his favorite thing in the world. I mean, outside of, I'm sure 
his family and his children. Although I, you know, what do I know? I'm just assuming that's what he'd say. Um, <laughs> but he loves being in front of a crowd and he loves, he actually loves talking to people. And, wow. he, you know, he, he walks, I know, he, <laughs> like he wants to, when you go to a new town, he wants to go walk around and he doesn't say, cause he wants to, you know, press the flesh and like be noticed and talk to strangers, but it is kind of just cause he's like, like he reminds me so much of like, like your, you know, your Midwestern uncle who, when you go out to dinner, just opens conversations with the people next door to him. Like, yeah, what do you got there, buddy? What are you eating? You know, like so many people in my family were like that. You go to the coffee shop and then you're, you know, you're having a conversation with six strangers and that is not me. That is, that is not me. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe the people listening would be surprised to hear this from both of us. But oh yeah, not me either. No, no. no like no. I would be happy to, I go to new towns and stay in my hotel room until I have to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like, I like going out and do, doing stuff. And I, and I, you know, and I certainly in my job, I've learned that I, you know, but like if I had gotten, a, if I had gotten some other job, I think I would be a lot more introverted and a lot more just kind of, you know, I don't know. Just like on a late night talk show, we have sponsors. Here they are. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Ultimate Ears Fits. If you're listening to this, you rely on technology in some way. Maybe you don't think of listening to a podcast as a kind of technology. That's because a lot of technology becomes invisible to us, at least when it's working well, right? And when it helps us out. That is why I like Ultimate Ears Fits. It becomes invisible to you, or I guess inaudible to you. Whatever. What I mean is you don't think about them. They fit so well. You don't have to think about them. You know, the ear is like fingerprints. No two are exactly alike. That is why your earbuds probably cause you some discomfort or even physical pain after you've been listening to them for a long while, like if you're binging on your favorite podcast with friends like these. Ultimate Ears Fits is different. Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds from Ultimate Ears are here to change the way you listen to music and podcasts because you're not going to think about how you're listening to them. That is my experience. I have no problem with earbuds, really, except that they fall out all the time. And I used to use them for running, but I couldn't use earbuds for any other kind of exercise, weightlifting, yoga, uh, moving too much around the house. The difference when you have earbuds that fit is you don't have to think about what you're going to do next and whether or not the earbuds are going to fall out. And of course, the sound quality is great. Ultimate Ears Fits are the world's most comfortable earbuds, premium sound, all-day comfort. You get a guaranteed perfect fit in 30 seconds. Ultimate Ear Fits will stay put when you're on the go, but feel ultra comfortable so you can wear them all day long without pain or discomfort. Using groundbreaking light form technology, Ultimate Ears Fits molds to the contours of your ear. It's this weird thing. They light up and they get hot and not hot, but like warm and they kind of mold to your ear. Put them in, connect the app and watch the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. There's eight hours continuous playback on a single charge, up to 20 hours using the charging case. Ultimate Ears Fits are perfect for listening to your favorite shows like this one, all day long. Engineered to provide a full, warm sound with a tight, punchy low end, and you can set custom EQ presets through the app as well. If you try fits and don't love them as much as I do, no worries. Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. 
Plus, you'll get free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. For a limited time, get 15% off your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com slash fits. Use promo code FRIENDS at checkout. That's 15% off with promo code FRIENDS at ue.com slash fits. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Let's talk about what some of those products are. There's gentle liquid hand soap with a blend of essential oils that are hardworking but gentle on your skin. Who doesn't want clean hands that smell like a grapefruit with a dash of mandarin? How about a healthier MSG-free take on classic instant ramen that's still ready in minutes? That's on public goods. Or what about a delicious all-natural chocolate chip cookie baked in Savannah, Georgia with no artificial colors or ingredients? They have that too. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They're committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. And we have worked out an awesome deal for that first purchase for with friends like these listeners. Receive $15, that's $15, off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident. You will absolutely love their products and come back again and again. They are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. Plus, right now, receive your choice of either a free pack of bamboo straws or reusable food storage wraps with your order. You have nothing to lose. Just go to Public Goods dot com slash friends or use code friends at the checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com slash friends to receive $15 off your first order. With friends like these is brought to you by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? Is it a long and changing list? Mine is. Right now, I'd say family stuff. You know, not bad things, but just stuff. I have found that talking about it helps, especially if I have a professional to talk to. If you need someone to talk to, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it so convenient you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get a prompt and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, though financial aid is available. There's a broad range of expertise among these therapists that may not be available in your local area. There are licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out the testimonials posted daily to their site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a better life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash friends. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash friends. 
If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Mm. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512.24 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh. Like creator Kate. This Glade Orchid Neroli candle is so fresh. It's like fresh as watching a sunrise in Santorini. Yeah, I'm going to need more of those. Explore the new Glade Fresh collection today. So I want to talk to you about this, this lengthy experiment that you've been a part of. Um, you know, this, the, this show that's been going on for so long. And it is different than other shows. So I want to get your perspective on the rest of Late Night in a way. Because mm-hmm. it's changed a lot. Yes. Since you started working in Late Night. I mean, yeah. I, it's funny because I would actually say the Conan show, that chemistry is actually, there's some consistency there that I see. Yes. But other shows obviously have cycled through different hosts. Mm-hmm. And we now have this era of the late night host as quasi newscaster. Yes. So what do you, yeah, what have that, you seen? Well, that particular thing is something that started after we were already on the air and, you know, there was not, there wasn't a real precedent for heavy, serious political topicality like there is now, mm-hmm. um, you know, we would, you know, we'd make silly jokes about Bill Clinton, you know, and we'd have, you know, we used to do this thing that we called clutch cargo, which is an old cartoon where they would, it was just basically a still. And then they would basically, uh, I forget what the word is, you know, they'd fade in somebody's mouth, an actual human mouth moving, uh, to talking. It was an old cartoon yeah. that was in Chicago. It was on Ray Rayner, WGN in the mornings. And it was like an adventure cartoon. And actually the man that, that invented it, his son was deaf and he wanted to make a cartoon that his son could lip read. Mm. So, which is, you know, it's a sweet origin of it, but we used it as a cheap way to do uh, topical bits where we just take a still of somebody and then you just do a dissolve over their mouth and you dissolve in an actual mouth saying lines and you could have, you know, you don't have to have somebody put on makeup. You can talk to Bill Clinton or Boris Yeltsin or Howard Stern or whoever, you know, whomever you want to do a fake interview with. But then the Daily Show came along and it, and it's it, it, it seemed so important to, you know, have some sort of political bent. And then it started to infect the other, not infect, affect or effect. Uh, it, it started to, all of those really, yeah. um, it, started, it started to, uh, it started to affect the other shows. And then it kind of like, that was sort of the way that it moved. And we just, we knew that we would just look like, dilettantes and Johnny come lately's if we all of a sudden were like, okay, we got to re revamp this thing. And we got to really, you know, we got to really hit hard on all this political stuff, which, you know, in conversations with Conan, I remember we had one once about it. And he said, 
He said, I don't care about doing that kind of humor. He said, I don't want to do that kind of humor. And it's, and it's something that I feel too. It's like so much of it is just kind of cheerleading. It's just preaching to the choir. You know, that's a lot of the reaction that a lot of shows like that get is just rah, rah, our side. Have you heard the term clapter? Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. That's that's apt. Very, very apt. And I don't have any interest in that. And frankly, I'm I'm a you know, I'm a politically aware person. I don't find it that funny, Mm. you know, especially the last however many years. So and and Conan once said to me, he said, you know, we started here doing the kind of show that we kind of had to do because it's the sort of show that we're just going to naturally organically create. And it's absurd. And he said, and I actually feel in the long run that this absurd, that an absurd kind of comedy is going to actually matter more. It's going to actually do more for the humanity that's watching it than these pointed, you know, Trump sucks uh, down with Mitch McConnell kind of things, uh, you know, and there are people that like that kind of stuff. There's, and I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to, to crap on anybody, well, but I, I mean, feel free it's just, if it's you not want to. to my taste. Well, I know it's good for you, <laughs> but I, I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not to my taste. And a lot of, and there's like, I, I, I have so much respect for the people that do that well. And, and I can enjoy their shows, but I do not watch them with regularity yeah. because I just, I don't, I, I don't know. It's just like, there's kind of this, you have to assume an attitude of outrage that can't be as that you just, I mean, cause I know I'm in show business. I know that when you have to adopt an attitude, there's days where you're not into it, where it's, it's a, it's a front you're putting on. So if you're, if you're, if the, what your mode is, is, moral outrage over these wrongs that are being committed and you make that show biz, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it feels like evangelical and a little and just phony in a, in a bit and not phony. Cause I don't, I don't think people are saying things they don't believe. I just feel like they're amping it up for show biz and they're making these things that are serious showbiz. There's a lot of news shows that have too much fucking showbiz in them. And I just am like, I get, you know, like, like new shows that are being snarky now. Yeah. I don't be snarky. I don't want snarky from somebody (laughs) that's telling me serious things. I want information. I don't want you to be cute. I don't want you to get in zingers, you know? Um, But that's a, that's a sidetrack. No, Uh, I think this is actually something. I mean, I, I think about a lot. Um, because there was a point in my life that comedy was the thing that I wanted to do. So. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what I think about political comedy, and actually one of the reasons why I chose journalism and politics is mm-hmm. because I found what the feedback I got on some of the stuff that I did that was funny was about, was a lot of outrage. It was a lot of like, oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. You yeah. know, the sort of what's now become like, yeah, you destroyed that person, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you really, you know, whatever. I'd like to report a murder. Um, right, right. And that seemed to me, and even today, and I say this as someone who consumes and enjoys some of that late night um, news 
Yeah. Newsfotainment. Newsfotainment. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you are uh, doing a cultural hijacking, you know? Yeah. Like you're taking the energy that people already have around something that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And then being like, Ha <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm going to make entertainment out of I'm this. I'm going to make it, you're, you know? you're passionate about this, and I'm just going to steer it a little bit over here. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought about when I was actually looking at some of your past tweets and, and thinking about what we would we would discuss is that this blending of news and comedy, like making it okay and having uh, uh, people who, I mean, let's face it, like, may not have the most sophisticated political, like, backgrounds. Yes. You know? Like, I'm not saying right. they're dumb. I'm not saying, like, nothing. Right. It's just that's... Or they just, they they don't have the capacity to care. Well, a lot of people just don't care just, that much. It's just not what they do for a living, actually. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And we've sort of, it's, it's the rise of the pseudo-expert. And actually, I sort of was thinking, I wonder if this is what made Joe Rogan possible. Like, this idea that, People who entertain us also get to like tell us serious things, like educate us. Yeah. He's, I picked him out because you obviously tweeted about him recently in his. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, I don't have any, you know, I don't have anything against, against Joe Rogan or anybody that kind of does that kind of stuff, except for, I I mean, the only reason I mentioned Joe Rogan is because he said something you know, about how you don't need the vaccine if you're young and healthy. And that is just dangerous. And you co- did a callback to the, his fear factor stuff, right? The same, yeah, same yeah. guy that, you know, like yeah. made people get in tubs of whatever right. it is that they did. Yeah, put insects on their face and stuff like that. And that's what and I, I thought of know, this, like, it's this thing where we've made, enter- made entertainers into our news sources. Yes. And, and in that moment, too, I'm making a point but I am also kind of making a joke. Yeah. Like I'm doing it myself. I'm, I, you know, I could have just said, Hey, Joe Rogan, this is dangerous. But I said, <laughs> I said, you know, are you really going to take health advice from a guy who used to get paid to make people eat bugs? Yeah. You know, so, which is, which I think is also apt for Trump. I mean, Trump, you know, and that's not anything I, I discovered, but goddamn game show host. And all of a sudden he's the leader of the free world. Okay. It's all, to me, so much of it is professional wrestling. It's all uh, this, in professional wrestling, there's this concept of kayfabe. Do you know that about that? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a shared sort of fake front, sort of a, a story that you're all living on that you have to commit to being real. And that's really what and especially Trump, but I do think that the right wing has has figured out, like, let's make this entertaining. And Trump, I think the reason Trump was so popular is because he was so much more entertaining than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And he is. Take him, separate him from, from the damage that he can do. And he's a riot. He is a character. He is like, he says shit that is just unbelievable that you put in a script and people would go like, that's too much. Mm-hmm. And yet he's a real person. <laughs> you know, he's like a, like a, like a Dabney Coleman character, but you know, like Dabney Coleman has a little more class. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I just think that that's kind of what happens too, is that 
every bit of information has to have a bit of swagger has to, you know, and also to I mean, the latest thing that he said that Joe Rogan said was that white men are going to be silenced, which is just fucking absurd. <laughs> See, just that's absurd. And so I have absurd. to laugh. Like, yes, it is funny in its own way, I guess. Yeah, yeah, also, yeah, but it's only funny because it's demonstrably untrue. Right. But and I mean, and it's and it does. It begs the question, does he really believe that or is that just like a stance that he's taken because, hey, here we are talking about it, you know, whereas if he had said, you know, this this cancel culture is a bit much and, you know, I think everyone should calm down about it. We wouldn't be talking about it. But to say that white men will have to be silenced, that's going to get people like you and me to go, oh, please. Well, except the other thing is I would be OK with that if that was part of the plan. <laughs> like if we could do that, I would be for but, I mean, it. <laughs> yeah, but it's not it's not going to happen. And I mean, it's and ideally, you know, ideally, no one's going to get silenced. But the point is, we all need to share. OK, that's the basic thing is like we like let's share. Let's let's. And that's the, the things that we try and teach our children. Nobody believes like, you know, let's let's share the spotlight. Let's share the power. Let's share the, the money, you know. Let's share the access to wealth and a better life. Let's share law enforcement. Let's share the justice <laughs> system, you know. Let's have law enforcement look the same for everyone. That would be yeah, a good thing. Yeah. yeah, just, you know. Well, this is a great segue because, you know, there's more than one way to be political. There's more than one way to be um, conscious of a political context. And it doesn't have to be that you're snarky about the news. Mm -hmm. It can be the way you run a show. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, like, for instance, you recently retweeted someone who made a joke about uh, someone finally making space for Harvard grads to work in our industry. Yes. Yes. Now, I happen to notice that you work for a Harvard grad. Yes. <laughs> but I don't think that he would I don't think he would have any pro any qualms about me saying like because the point that the person because it was about that there's a an organization that facilitates Harvard graduates to make it in show business. <laughs> that is, sorry, laughing uh, you know, again. And that's like, yeah, that's like, that's again, it's like, yeah. And, you know, like a, that would be like a group, you know, devoted to making sure that white men aren't silenced. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's not really. I mean, I get it. Every school has kind of like a, a network of graduates and alums that help each other. But this just, just seems extra silly. And it was, you know, it was being promoted. And this person said, oh, if only there was some way for people, Harvard graduates to make it in show business. And I, you know, Conan, I think, would understand how, why that's funny. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't actually mean to call him out kind of specifically. And yet to get back to this idea that you can be in a political context by the way you run a show. Yes. You know. In the same reckoning that we've all had, white people, mm -hmm. mostly, since last June, uh, I know the entertainment industry has done its own self-examination, mm -hmm. right? About the makeup of writers' rooms. Absolutely. About the makeup of who gets on stage. Mm -hmm. Is that a conversation that you've been having? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is. And I, you know, and I mean, our, our writing staff, is still largely white and male. 
And that's kind of the way the comedy industry goes. Um, but there's a, there's more women and more African-Americans, you know, working on our show. Our show is still too white. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's changing, but it's too white. And I, you know, I, I certainly am guilty of, of not, you know, of, of being laissez-faire about it, of saying that like, oh, it's not, you know, I don't do the hiring, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, and I can, you know, and I can push from within about sort of like, you know, I mean, cause it's, there's also, there's been a learning curve in comedy about like, you can't make that joke anymore. And there's, and there members of our staff have, there's been a, a, you know, over the years, there's been a different learning curve for the individuals on the staff who will make, you know, say, let's say this. And there will be one person in the room that says, you really can't say that anymore. That's not, that's not apropos. And maybe there's a greater conversation about like, why was that ever funny? Um, But I know there's things, you know, there's jokes that I've made. I mean, since I've been on Twitter, which I think I've been on Twitter, Jesus, 10 years now. Mm. Uh, I look at early jokes that I made and I think I wouldn't make that joke now because I understand that. um, I mean, you know, on the far end, it's hurtful to someone. But even on the other end, it's just tacky. It's just tacky and hacky. And there's a lot of tacky and hacky takes. As far as hiring goes, uh, you know, it's definitely on my mind to when I, you know, if I go do something else where I am a producer on something, I'm going to make, you know, I, I'm, I am, I personally feel committed to yes. I just can't. And, and a lot of times it's laziness. If you mm-hmm. don't, if you don't make a point to the room just fills up with white men, you know, and if you just say, well, let's start a show, let's hire some people, let's do this. And it just fills up with white men because, you know, they're trying not to be silenced. Uh, <laughs> so they come rushing in. Um, and so you have to make an extra effort because there's, there's a huge, you know, there's a history and a structure in place and an institution and an, an architecture that, that just, you know, unless you make a point to divert the stream, it'll just end up being white and it'll end up being white men. And I'm not perfect at it. You know, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I, yeah, I still have my blind spots. I still have my, you know, I still can be lazy, you know, I, when in situations like that. Um, well, these again, are like muscles that white people have not used in a very long time. Absolutely. If ever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't think I don't want to make excuses for us. But at the same time, I think that people who are trying should have a little bit of grace for themselves. Yeah. Because if you don't, then you might give up. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You might just be like you might turn into the person that's like, oh, you can't say anything. White men are being canceled. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, yeah, it's like sometimes. I'm going to say shit that I wind up regretting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, and oh. Or do oh, something oh, oh. That, that that's insensitive. Yeah. And I just have to kind of be like, oh, yeah, that that happened. Oh. Yeah. And I think for the most part, the whole notion of people getting canceled. Uh, like, hey, I mean, 
Mel Gibson's still making movies. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of people still still doing just fine. And the people that are, you know, but then like Harvey Weinstein is really canceled because he did something really, really bad, you know. And and I think that that most of the people that have been truly, truly canceled have they don't, uh, I, I, you know, in, in cancel court, I think that it would be found that it was, it was correct. Well, I was going to say that with some exceptions, you know, that the thing about the people who get truly canceled and air quotes for podcast listeners, uh, often they did something illegal (laughs) or or that you can demonstrably say like, this was a wrong. This was a crime. This was a crime or a wrong that we recognize as a society as being a wrong. And therefore that person has consequences where we struggle as white people is thinking that having your reputation harmed or having people say bad things about you is the same thing as suffering. Yes. Yeah. Accountability. I mean, that's that. Yeah. That to the person to the, you know, to the I can't remember the exact quote, but, you know, accountability feels like suffering if you've never been held accountable. Um, And it's not. It's just it's a it's a correction. And there's if you, you know, you have to really make a point to not use your eyes if you look at our current society and not think that there's a ton of correction that is absolutely necessary. I uh, want to bring up another sort of way that we can work in a political context without making snarky jokes, which is yeah. perhaps I would love to hear you talk about booking. I know you're not responsible for booking, mm-hmm. but that's the front face facing part of a show of an interview show. Yes. And that's real white too. Yeah. You know? It gets, it is better. It's a lot better than it used to be. And I mean, and I, you know, I, I have a, my own podcast and I'm very, try to be very conscious about making sure we get all kinds of different people and that it isn't just white comedy guy, white comedy guy, white comedy guy. Um, and, and, you know, but then there's, there's times when it's like, you know, I mean, you book a podcast, it's like, oh shit, I got three white guys in a row, you know, like, oops, sorry, you know. Um, but yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I like the people, I like, I like the booking that we're doing on the Conan show now. I think we have a, you know, it's, it's a fairly diverse group of people just racially and, and by sex and, and sexuality, you know. You mentioned you have a podcast. Uh, yeah. I've always been fascinated by the fact that late night hosting gigs do go to comedians mm-hmm. because, you know, making jokes is only part of a late night show. Mm-hmm. Like you interview people as a fairly significant part of that show. Like yes. just minutes wise, I think it's probably as much as making jokes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, do do comedians necessarily make good interviewers? Like, you know, Conan has his own interview, has specifically an interview show now. And you have a podcast where you interview people. But but especially in a late night television show, the emphasis is always going to be on getting laughs. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, that's the, that show, that show comes on. And I mean, all of these paradigms are breaking down, but that show comes on after the news where you got your dose of serious stuff. And now it's time 
as you're laying in bed with the TV on at your feet, you know, to kind of have some light laughter and to some conversation and sort of interesting chat with beautiful people. Uh, so it's always going to be on the light side, which on the light side means laughter and means comedy. And there's a lot, you know, there's comedians that have tried to be interviewers and they're not good at it um, because a lot of comedians don't play well with others. And, you know, in order to be a interviewer, you got to be a listener. And sometimes comedians aren't great listeners. So yeah, that, that happens. But I mean, for the most part, podcasts that are meant to be just entertaining as opposed to informative or educational or, you know, edifying or, or uh, you know, political, they're going to, they're going to kind of go towards laughter. You know, they're going to, they're going to go towards jokes and that's, that's like the human marketplace. I think, you know, I think that that's just kind of, you know, like, I think if you just added up television commercials, you know, probably 70% of them are supposed to be funny as opposed to be inspiring or whatever, you know. And now just a few more ads. With friends like these is brought to you by magic spoon. Now growing up, I liked sugary cereals as much as the next kid. I just wasn't allowed to have them. Sometimes my grandfather would stay up late with me and we'd have a bowl of like, I don't know, Cocoa Puffs. It seemed like a really special occasion. So I actually have really good memories associated with sugary cereals. And I'd like to, you know, be able to indulge in that nostalgia. I'm just watching sugar right now, which is why I love Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is the cereal you loved as a kid, but without the bad stuff. There's zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. And only 140 calories, if that's the kind of thing you're interested in knowing. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And you can build your own variety box online if you go to magicspoon.com. You can choose from cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. Now, I like to mix them up. That, to me, is like the real genius of Magic Spoon. You can add the peanut butter to the cocoa. You can add the fruity to the frosted. You can add the cinnamon to the cocoa. It's kind of a Mexican hot chocolate flavor. And if you are interested in trying this trick for yourself, go to magicspoon.com slash WFLT to grab this custom bundle and try it today. Be sure to use promo code WFLT at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it, for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash WFLT and use code WFLT to save $5. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Osea. I don't wear a lot of makeup. Don't use a ton of skincare products. It's kind of hard to find ones that fit my particular desires. I, I want them to smell amazing, uh, to do what they're supposed to do, and to have a product line I can be proud of. Lately, I have been using Osea. 
I genuinely love it. Uh, Their scrub, their sea salt scrub smells amazing. And it scrubs and then it leaves like a, a silky sheen without being sticky. I have never seen any body scrub that does that before. I am about done with my huge tub of Osea body scrub. I have never, I think, ever run out of a scrub before. I've always gotten like kind of sick of it and like thrown it away half full or something. Also, if you're interested in silky sheen, you will like their body oil, Andaria Algae Body Oil. It instantly moisturizes and replenishes dry skin, leaving every inch silky smooth. I especially like it. They recommended it for this purpose. I use it on my tattoos. It makes them look kind of fresh again. Osea gets this body oil by hand harvesting Andaria algae in barrels of oils for up to six months. The result is liquid gold, rich, luxurious, never greasy, fragrant with sunny citrus and top notes of sweet passion fruit. Osea creates skin and body care products powered by the sea. They've made clean, safe skincare products since 1996, vegan and cruelty-free as well, responsibly sourced with plant-derived ingredients. They're good for your skin and for the planet. It was founded by women, and it's family operated by a mother and a daughter team. You can try Osea risk-free for 30 days and get free shipping on orders over $50. They even send you free samples with every order. Get 10% off your first order with my promo code FRIENDS at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com. That's 10% off with code FRIENDS at OseaMalibu, O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com. With friends like these is brought to you by HVMN. You know, it's really natural to get hungry around three or four o'clock because the longest time we fast in this culture is between lunch and dinner. But the thing is, when you get hungry, you make bad decisions and you might reach for a latte that has lots of sugar in it or one of those health bars that also has lots of sugar in it. And so you wind up crashing more than you were crashing already. In the future, you might consider HVMN bars or their keto powers. By using real organic ingredients, HVMN has made keto and lifestyle improvements easy and healthy with low sugar options that are great for you and deliciously satisfying. HVMN offers single items like MCT oil, keto food bars, and keto collagen powder. Again, you can put that in your coffee, or you can grab a kit that includes all the essentials at an everyday discount. Whether you're curious about keto, want to improve your performance, boost body and brain wellness, HVMN will have a non-intimidating solution for you in tasty flavors. Now, HVMN is offering my listeners an additional 10% off their first order when you go to hvmn.com slash friends. Embrace healthy living today. Go to hvmn.com slash friends for 10% off your order. That is, once again, hvmn.com slash friends for 10% off. One of the reasons... I've wanted to talk to you. One of the reasons why you're a great follow on Twitter is that, at least from my observation, which is distant, you know, um, mm-hmm. and selective, like you seem to be actually political. Like you have educated yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I used to interview a fair number of celebrities and they can always be great people and have the right kinds of opinions that I agree with, but I have found that often those opinions come from a place of feeling, let's say, Mm -hmm. and not because they've necessarily done, it's not their job to do like the work or whatever. Like I'm not, 
Well, there's lots of people that are terrified to say anything. That's true too. too. And I, I so know. I want to give credit to anyone who says anything. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't blame people for that because like I say, it's not everybody's cup of tea mm -hmm. and you can certainly, and I mean, I might have my personal qualms of it, but you can go through life and not be that politically active. And it, it is arguably not that big a deal. I mean, because I certainly, at, you know, at times as active as I've been, especially like in 2016, I felt like, and what freaking good did it do? You know, here I am tweeting and arguing and, you know, retweeting and linking and, you know, giving money and, and doing fundraisers and then, you know, and then that's what happens. And it was very, it was, it was debilitating. I mean, I, I didn't stop. And actually this year, uh, this, this, this election, um, I actually was involved with a group called Collective Impact that basically just set up like social media phone trees. And I was one of the first steps on the phone tree in which they would have an initiative that they said, you know, you make a video about it and then you send it to all your influential mutual followers and then they'll send it to theirs. So like I say, it was just a phone tree that got information out and it was palpably productive. It made a lot of money. It changed, you know, it like tens of thousands of poll workers that you can directly link because they click on links. So it's like that felt like, all right, finally, it's, it's something other than just yelling into the air and inviting trolls. Um, so I don't I don't blame anyone. But for me, I just uh, and people, I mean, they don't say it so, so much anymore just because it's I don't know. They've said it a million times, but, uh, you know, like you could be potentially alienating 50 percent of your audience, just like sweetheart, try 35 <laughs> percent. Um, and and I, you know, and I just always kind of felt like, well, sorry, I don't. I, what I tweet politically is because I feel like I have to do it. I feel like, like I try and keep my Twitter account as much as, as much as it can be just a conversation with me, the person and what's on my mind and like what funny thing I observation I have about a commercial or like something my daughter said, or, um, and then also, can you believe what, this article says, you know, and you should give some money to these people. Um, and I, I, I just do that because I just feel like I have to, and I should. And I, and I, I, I do have, as they say, a platform and, and I do have a number of followers and I feel like there are people that are likely to agree with me who just aren't activated or just aren't engaged and here's something what do you think about this and, you know and and if you it just you know if you can just make a little bit of a nudge in the right direction that's really all that i can hope for and i, I also too i believe in persuasion you know i th there's a lot of there's so much of the discourse on social media that i just feel like and i mean people that I agree with just because I don't, we don't agree on a candidate or on a particular something or other. Just, 
just acting as if like I'm a, you know, a corporate shell who is a, you know, a dirty centrist. And it's always kind of like, listen, I want Denmark as much as you do, (laughs) but learn how to talk to me nicer. You know, like this is not the way to get me to your side by calling me fat. You know, I mean, it's, you know, just that kind of stuff is like, do you really care about this? Do you really care about getting this person in office or getting this, this issue looked at? Try persuasion, try, try salesmanship or saleswomanship or salespersonship. Just, you know, it's not all just one upmanship. Before we go, could you say, um, your podcast could you talk tell people what your sure. podcast is yeah um i have a podcast it's called the three questions and um it's it's basic as a as a, a guest on it uh john gabrich referred to it origin story like everything has to be comic book now so it's origin story but it's basically um i i have been in therapy for many many years it's a kind of language that i'm very conversant in and i kind of wanted to trick people into having a therapy session So the three questions are, where do you come from? Where are you going? And what have you learned? Which is sort of, I think, kind of the roots of of the therapeutic process and the talking cure. And, you know, I'm not trying to like heal anybody, but I do like it when people, when, when people make linkages in their own life, you know, like where they were like, I did this and then I did this and, oh, and you know what, this is probably why I'm like that. Um, That to me is, 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 always vital interesting conversation but people weren't won't learn too much they won't, no yeah okay all right yeah yeah, yeah. no 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 <laughs> i'm not licensed I, when i get my license all maybe right. then you know but then i'll have to charge them no all right thank you so much yeah. for being on this show this has been delightful. i'm happy to be it's it's been great talking to you On this week's With Adorables Like These, you will hear from Olivia Martinez, one of the associate producers on Pod Save America and America Dissected. She's going to tell us all about her pandemic pup, Brussels Sprout, and why he looks like the Google image result for dog. So what is your adorable's name? And can you please describe your adorable? Yes, my adorable is named Brussels Sprout. He is an approximately two-year-old rescue dog. Our best guess is that he's a beagle, like pit bull mix. Um, But we're really not sure because all we had when we got him was just a picture, no personality or anything. And um, it really, it all worked out. Brussels Sprout has been such a joy in this time. Well, that sort of answers the next question, which is how did your adorable come into your life? Yeah. Yeah. Like I mentioned, we had just a picture of him, like no description of what he was like or anything. They told us he was really hyper, which has turned out to be pretty true. He's very energetic. (laughs) Um, But like a lot of people, we adopted him during the pandemic. And so we really like had to hustle with the adoption agency. I think we emailed about like 20 dogs and just weren't having any luck. They were really going like hotcakes. Um, but it all worked out because Sprout has been, I think, like the perfect fit. And we just got a little bit of a shot of him there. He's a piebald, I believe is how they say it when it's a cow. <laughs> is that, I'm not sure if that's how you describe dogs as well, but he's white with kind of like brown and black yep. markings. 
Like a good old heifer. Yeah, like a classic <laughs> dog. I always say it looks like a cartoon dog or like if you looked up dog in the dictionary, it'd be a picture of Sprout. So Russell Sprout, how did that name come about? I just had always loved the name Brussels Sprout and I'd had it picked out. And when we got him, we were like, all right, Sprout it is. I kind of don't think it really fits him too well. I wish we'd named him Peanut Butter, but um, it was a little bit too late and the name Sprout is stuck. Is it doesn't fit him because he's a sweetheart or? And I think he's like. And Brussels Sprouts are, I mean, I love Brussels Sprouts. But let's face it, they are on the savory side. Yeah, they're savory, like a little bit stinky and like kind of like yeah. small and cute. And he's like, I think a little bit too medium sized for a Brussels sprout. Okay. But peanut butter would suit him somehow. I think so. I think maybe because of his coloring, like you described. Right. Like peanut butter and chocolate. He could be Reese's maybe. Uh, what is the most you've gone out of your way for Sprout or the biggest way you spoil him? Oh, that's a great question. He needs a walk like every single day, maybe even twice a day, um, which is hard to keep up. I'm not a big runner, but between me and my partner, like he goes on a couple runs a week, a walk every day. And still he's just like super hyper, would love even more attention. So we've, this is embarrassing. It's the most California thing we've done, but he has a hiking group he goes on <laughs> where someone named Francis picks him up twice a week and he goes on like a two-hour hike with all of his friends and then gets dropped off and he's like super happy, super zen. Um, he's been the most social in the pandemic because he has his hiking group. And we believe that all animals are emotional support animals, but is there a particular way in which Sprout supports you? I think so. We always say Sprout's like, good for content, especially this year when, you know, there hasn't been a ton going on. It's nice to just have another being there that is like funny and doing things to laugh at. He's definitely a ham. Um, he's great for TikToks. And I think it's it's just been really nice to have like another friend, another, another being here to be a, a companion this past year for sure. Hmm. Is there a cause that Sprout might support? I've given this a lot of thought and... <laughs> That's not usually the first answer I get, the first response I get to that question. If he were like against something, he would be against candles. He really is so scared of candles. So he would be probably up for banning all candles. But if we didn't want to go negative here, if he needed something he was for, he'd probably be pretty pro-national parks and protecting the parks. Because of his hiking group, he loves a good park. His dream is to just be running around a park all the time. So he's up for defending the national parks. Bark for parks. Bark for parks. That's, that's great. <laughs> let's get let's get the cricket political team involved. I would buy that shirt in a heartbeat. <laughs> and um, does your adorable have a voice that you do? He does. He does. I've also heard this is controversial of people being embarrassed to do the voice. But Sprout yes. does have a voice. People wonder what to say for this part. So he could voice his support for national parks if you need something for him to, to say. And he'd probably be like, uh, hi, my name is Sprout and I uh, love national parks and I think you should go. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, thank you so much for telling us about your adorable. Of course. Thanks so much for having me and Sprout on. And I think Sprout would say thank you so much.
And that is it for the show. Thanks to Andy for his time and to Olivia and Sprout for theirs. This show is a production of Crooked Media. Allison Herrera is our senior producer and Jordan Waller produces with adorables like these. Izzy Margulies books our guest. Louis Lino engineered this episode. Whitney Pastrick thinks Dirty Dancing will never stop being the soundtrack of summer. I've been traveling a bit this summer and it's been weird. Great to see folks. Slightly terrifying. Not that I'm afraid of the virus. It's that I worry I've forgotten how to do that part of being human that involves other humans in person, live, at the same time. (laughs) Here is my hack. I schedule a lot of alone time. And that might sound wild, given we've had so much alone time, but coming back to normal is like depressurizing from deep sea diving. You cannot come back all at once. You will get the bends. Don't get the bends. Take care of yourself. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.